Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. (laughs) A month ago, those sounds you hear gave many millions of families across the world sense of routine and certainty. The walk to school, children's laughter in a classroom, listening to the organ played in churches. The overnight closures of churches and schools has definitely impacted our routines and disrupted our rituals. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, there are at least 98,000 public schools and at least 34,000 private schools in the U.S. Those schools educate 50.8 million public school students and 5.8 million private school students. On this episode, we talk with three lifelong educators, each one of them calling on their core values and leading with compassion and empathy during these trying times. Former principals, superintendents, directors of STEM programs, coaches, consultants, and overall advisors to the next generation of school principals. They come together to share a principal's perspective, leading change during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, Bill, so great to be on this podcast with you. Meg Samaniego. Um aunt, very proud aunt of Bill Kirst, um, uh, the leader of the podcast. I've been in education for 40 years. I'm currently the director of the Onward Leaders Program for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, which is a, uh, an innovative leadership formation program, um, similar to the medical model, where principals uh, train underneath a mentor principal, co-principaling for a year, doing the work, well, learning in a cohort, the theory and different um, practicalities of what the work is in a really large system like the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, which can be very difficult to navigate as a new principal. So that's me. Thank you, Meg. Uh, Susan, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, Susan Abeline. Um, been in private and Catholic education for just over 25 years. Uh, was a teacher. Um, principal elementary and high school and have also taught um, university classes at I don't know five or six different universities from coast to coast. I was the assistant soup in both um, the Archdiocese of New York and the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and um, currently doing consulting and coaching and presenting for for people who who need my help. And I bet there are going to be a lot of people who need that help uh, here shortly. So thank you, Susan, for joining and and sharing your perspective. Leslie. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. My name is Leslie Dolinardis. I've been in Catholic education and only in Catholic education for 17 years as a math and science teacher for about nine, as a principal for about 10. And most recently, I worked for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, Department of Catholic Schools, as a STEM network director. It's been about Mm -hmm. two years. Um, What we're doing is identifying schools that are ready and able to transform into full STEM uh, 
Mm -hmm. um, so we started with a cohort of schools. They, we have three schools currently in this cohort, and we just identified two new schools to join the second cohort. It's a really kind of innovative way to approach learning and mm -hmm. transform an entire school in a really new innovative STEM mindset. Um, and really this remote learning, our schools have embraced it. So we're really excited uh, to see how they're adapting and they're kind of in a unique way to adapt to this. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it today. Thank you for having us. You're absolutely welcome. I really appreciate all three of you joining and sharing your perspective, which is really timely. Um, Leslie, as you talked about, that's, that's a perfect place I'd like to start. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's, it's uh, pretty powerful that every school system, every family, every parish, um, pretty much every institution um, had to switch to virtual and remote overnight. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to just start with this question to each of you um, in terms of how you think people are doing. Now I've heard, I will, I will preface this with, I have a lot of uh, family members and friends who are teachers, um, some in the public school system, some in the private school system, some are Catholic school teachers. And I will preface this with um, a couple anecdotals. In the Catholic schools where my friends uh, work, they, they, what they did was, was kind of interesting up here in Seattle. A number of them basically said, we're gonna take an entire day and we're just gonna focus on how we get fluent and comfortable using the technology as, as a school, as teachers, as providers, so that when we flip the switch a day or two later in this new world, um, we can be as comfortable navigating this change as, as we can with families and students. Um, I've also heard from some public school teachers up in the Washington area that that did not occur, um, and also in places like Virginia where I have some family that did not occur. And there was much more um, expectation on the parents to learn it um, from the home. So with those anecdotes, I'd love to hear from each of you, what are you experiencing? What are you hearing from those you support um, to begin with? We'll start there. Great question, Bill. I, I think one of the pieces that maybe was missing in some of the schools was just the big dive into it without really some solid footing. Um, you have multiple generations in a school. So some who were really comfortable just jumped in and then, and I think that left a few, some others behind feeling a bit incompetent and inadequate. Really good teachers just didn't know this new platform. So that was, that was a piece that we had, we had to regroup and say, wait, we got to slow this down. We've got to include mm -hmm. everybody. We can't leave anyone behind in this transition. Um, the other piece, of, I think all of the onward leaders are very techie. So it was very easy for them. And for those who are already doing a blended learning, it wasn't that complicated. But for the schools that didn't have those pieces in place, um, it started with packet pickup and um, more worksheet driven. And, um, and that was okay because that's where they were. And then after about this, going into the second week, it all sort of dawned on me that when the churches closed and people could no longer enter their parish church, we were the front line and became the face of the church. And so the driver changed from how are you taking attendance? 
Well, you know what? You'll figure out attendance. The bottom line is we need to know where every kid is and, and are they okay? Um, are the, how are we gonna collect tuition? Can't be the driver right now. It's important, but what we need to do is reach out to the parents and make sure they have the services they need to navigate this time. Many of them losing their jobs, home with their children, limited internet or one or two devices and they have three or four kids. So those things kind of kicked in at the end of that first week and um, we stepped back a little bit. I'm gonna let Leslie and Susan speak to that also. Um, but it's become more and more apparent to me that the, what we were able to do really, really well was to provide structure for the family and let the children see us, which was, I think, incredibly comforting to the entire family. A little rhythm mm -hmm. to the day, hello from mm -hmm. the teacher, a prayer with the teacher. We have principals that are doing the rosary, going out and doing um, the outdoor stations of the cross and videotaping themselves and leading the community. And those pieces are incredibly powerful for creating community in this virtual space. And the principals and the teachers have become that face. So I think that should not be overlooked. Absolutely. Leslie, I'd love your thoughts um, as well. So I, you know, I work with schools that are, our STEM schools are uniquely positioned that they're trained in technology or they're trained in kind of hands-on learning where students are more self-directed. So our students are a little bit more independent in learning, so they can go home and use their technology without having to worry about their parents needing their parents' help, which I think is um, a little bit less overwhelming for parents. I think that that was kind of the missed piece is that teachers are trained, our principals are trained, but then kids go home and work with parents who have no idea how to log into Zoom or no idea how to use Google Classroom. And that's, you know, you go on Facebook and there's a lot of parents very overwhelmed right joking about how one more thing and they're gonna jump out the window which is really funny but in retrospect you know parents are stressed they're, they're not working or they're working from home and and we need to take that into consideration but um i think that this remote learning in the very beginning they it was only three weeks that they had to worry about and that was kind of what they were focused on and they were trying to fit in um like a an eight hour day into this remote learning and that wasn't the reality right it's about quality not versus quantity and so I think that it's shifted a lot and our schools are doing a great job. You know, I have a, a, one of my STEM schools, Holy Spirit STEM Academy. They actually have people enrolling in their remote academy. So public school students or neighbors of their, of their friends that are actually paying tuition just to be part of their online learning academy because parents are finding that they're doing less because they're doing such a great job of what the teachers are focusing on. Um, but I give kudos to our, our, like Meg said, to our principals and teachers because what they are providing is stability, um, touch points, prayers, you know, face-to-face -face interaction with their principals and teachers that I think is missing a lot in public schools. Um, and so that is, is something pretty powerful, <clears throat> but it, it isn't homeschooling. And that, that's kind of the mistake or the misnomer that's going around is that, you know, parents are homeschooling. Remote learning is very different from homeschooling. And it's also not an eight hour day, right? We're not supposed to give an eight hour day, you know, via computer. And I think that's something that needs to be clear as well. And we don't do eight hours a day of talking either in schools. If we do, God, we are doing something very wrong, right? We don't wanna hear teachers talk for eight hours a day. And, and our STEM teachers definitely don't do that. So how do we balance that? You know, we have a great um, 
project-based learning going on in our schools right now. We have teachers still assigning STEM projects. Um, but I, our schools are uniquely positioned for that. I think that what this is gonna do is change how we learn. You know, we're gonna definitely go back to school in August and parents are gonna be like, so okay, so if I could have done learning in three hours at home, why, what are you doing in eight hours and why is it not looking different? Why are we still having two hours of homework when they were at school for eight hours? I think it's definitely gonna change and shift the education system finally to be more innovative. And I think that that's what our STEM network is trying to do, but I think it's gonna permeate a lot more of our schools for sure. I know yeah. Susan will definitely have more to say to that as well. Absolutely, <laughs> Susan, please go ahead. So I think in terms of how people are doing, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a great opportunity to, to um, prep for this webinar that I presented last week. And in doing so, had conversations with seven principals from across the country, from LA and Portland to Boston and New York and in between. And, and what was great about talking with those seven principals is kind of some themes arose, and again, in terms of how principals are doing and how they're caring for their teachers. And um, kind of two, two big themes to me came out of that. And one was, it was a team effort. So in terms of the transitions, um, you know, principals, I think, did a really great job of saying, this isn't just me um, leading this, but how can I build a team around me to make this transition, to manage the crisis in its initial phase, but then go beyond that and actually um, deliver quality teaching and learning. Um, so teaming was really important. And then the second piece of that, which I found was really interesting, when I asked the principals, what kind of support do you need? Um, all of them came back with, essentially it boiled down to self-care and, and not feeling guilty, you know, forgiving themselves for needing to care for themselves during this time. Because especially in the Catholic and private school world, you know, principals have kind of, they they dove into the deep end of teaching and learning once again, you know, and, and even if they were doing walkthroughs and observations and, and even helping maybe a first year teacher, um, this was a shock to the system and this was a shock to the role of principal, even if they were an exceptional instructional leader. On top of that, they're dealing with the operational vitality of their schools and wondering, are parents gonna to continue to pay for tuition? Do they see value in what we're offering? And so I think that guilt over like that self-care <laughs> of how do I even take time to go for a walk, to hug my spouse, to care for my children when I'm feeling overwhelmed with being a school principal on it at a, at a new level. I so appreciate you sharing that, Susan. I think um, one of the things that I'm seeing um, across all industries, um, across nonprofits, institutions, schools, is there's a new relationship and a new paradigm with self-care. Um, and I, and I, I so appreciate you calling out the, the, um, this new companionship with a sense of guilt and a sense of shame that comes along with it. And, and as someone who has navigated this a lot um, over the past you know, three, four weeks as we figure out all this, this new way of working, um, I do think it has been interesting. Um, you know, it's it's a transition from week one to week four. Mm -hmm. I think week mm -hmm. one, we all were firefighters, right? We did. We were we were literally just, you know, as you said, mm -hmm. Meg. We got to take care mm -hmm. of the parents. We got to make sure that people, mm -hmm. um, the kids are safe, right? Are they fed? Like, how do we figure this out <laughs> in this in this new way? Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and then week two was a little bit of, okay, well, I can't necessarily repeat week one at the speed and the reach and the depth that I did, because if I do, I'll burn out and I can't help anybody. Then week three was what rituals? And Meg, I, I loved how you called out the importance and the power of ritual. We are, dis, we are discerning what rituals we can do in this new, in this new world and the importance of ritual, be it, you know, joining, you know, joining a, a morning yoga on Zoom or, you know, recording um, an outside Stations of the Cross and sharing that. One of the things that really warmed my heart that I saw in Southern California um, over video was teachers doing the, the parade, the driving into the neighborhoods and car mm -hmm. after car after car with signs honking and, and showing, as you said, Meg, the importance of showing your face from a distance, a safe distance, waving and saying to the kids and the families, you, you've got this. And that to me is, is teamwork and, and leadership in action. You know, there's no book that said, get in your car and drive around a cul-de-sac and, and wave a sign. No book says that, at least that we've had published to date. Maybe it will in the future. Um, and then I think the last point I, I wanna share that all three of you touched on and especially, you know, Leslie, the, import, the importance of um, giving moments of certainty in an otherwise wave of uncertainty. And I think the, the, STEM, the STEM schools um, is a great example. I have the opportunity to advise um, uh, a couple STEM schools, both on the East Coast and here in Seattle. And I agree with you, it is amazing when the confidence um, of, a, of a middle school uh, child or even a high school child of getting up and turning on the technology and walking through it. And I've seen this with parents where initially they've got that sense of, it's kind of like the way we used to learn math. Meg, remember like the old math <laughs> and the new math? Like if we sit down and we try and do the new math with our kids now, they're like, no, it's not how it's done. And you're like, uh, well, we still get to the same result, but I can't, I can't follow the logic of how we do the new math. And the technology is the same. So sometimes, our kids become our teachers. And I think this is a beautiful moment of that. But it also goes back to what you're saying, Susan, is some of this, um, this sense of authority and responsibility and um, overwhelm, it starts with us just kind of saying, I can't do it all, right? So I've said a lot there mm -hmm. to kind of surmise, but <laughs> I'd love for anybody to jump in and see. I, I, this, it gets me so excited to know that that people are stepping through these stages. It's a little bit like um, loss and grief, right? Um, I, I'd like to speak to, to that um, three points I wanna make. One, we, Susan was very instrumental in getting the, the professional learning communities going in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And so there was a foundation there, um, but this has, weirdly made it happen organically, which is really what it should be. It's 100%. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's almost, mm -hmm. um, I think Leslie and I had talked about it, we're working ourselves out of a job because the collective capacity at the site is mm -hmm. more powerful than, uh, than mm -hmm. anything I've ever seen happen in schools. Just remarkable. Um, mm -hmm. The second thing is, um, grading and assessment and I had a great uh, cohort zoom with uh, a couple of my cohorts 
And I said, well, tell me what's happening. And, and they finally, as first, second year principals, some of them had a chance to really kind of study what, how were we grading? And the conclusion was not very well. So, <laughs> so uh, maybe, maybe this is a great opportunity to rethink Mm -hmm. what that means and what we're mm -hmm. doing and fundamentally change the way we think about how we assess learning and move it away from a competition uh, where only a few get to the top uh, in, into a more uh, nuanced um, personal goal setting and learning targets um, where the child is competing with themselves but they all get to the same place at the end. And what does that look like in terms of documentation? All of those questions are coming up and not to be answered right now, but my prayer is that we don't go back to what was happening. So, and I'm not sure how to make that happen. Probably Leslie and Susan would speak to that much more eloquently than. <laughs> than. Well, and if I can, I would love both of you to, to weigh in here. I, I would love to also just um, sort of put on the table the possibility that um, the concept of going back, of resuming, of returning to is gone, Meg. Um, and I've had, I've had a number of conversations with chief strategy officers and people across different industries. And, and it's also really interesting to let go of that concept of going back to or resuming or returning there's a bit of a, a, a bit of a pang of guilt there um, because people feel like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm abandoning something. And, and what I would offer is, no, you're actually not, you're creating something. There's new pathways here. Um, and with that comes a tremendous amount of um, opportunity and a little bit of excitement and, and probably a lot of fear. So Leslie and Susan, I'd love for you to jump in here um, as we, as we talk about that, you know, as Meg laid out, there is, so much access opportunity here. I'm very excited by it, but I agree, Meg, my job as a change management consultant is to write myself out of a job. So things like this, I get excited for, but I understand not everybody does. So yeah, Susan, Leslie. So, yeah, Bill, I'll jump in. And because I think Leslie's gonna leave us on a high note. So um, <laughs> so, so I'll share, share, you know, and Meg's been around a long time too, right? And so I think um, we might be in some agreement, Meg and I, about the idea that um, church doesn't really like to change. And, um, you know, this is a 2000 year old institution that uh, COVID-19 could be a blip on the radar to many people and, you know, possibly be the downfall of Catholic education in this country. You know, we're at 1.7 million Catholic school students. Um, that's down from five and a half million um, 60 years ago. And, and it is precipitously declining annually. And, you know, I share that because it is a brutal fact that needs to be confronted. And, and what I would say to you in, in terms of your comment, I agree a thousand percent. If not now, when? What's it gonna take, <laughs> you know, for, um, you know, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not in the game. You know, I'm an outsider. I'm a consultant. I'm a coach. Um, I'm not sitting in the seat of the superintendent. I'm not sitting in the seat of a school principal. Um, and I'm certainly not a pastor. So, so how do we 
embrace this opportunity to say, what do we want to be? What does our community need us to be? And, um, and are we going to be courageous enough to think differently? And I think, you know, Leslie and the STEM network is a beautiful example, like Onward Leaders, of thinking differently about leadership and how schools can operate. Thank you, Leslie. Love so I, I, I do, I mean, as Susan is definitely correct. I think that, you know, I'm uh, definitely usually pretty pessimistic myself, but, um, you know, what I think is an advantage for Catholic education is that public school, the public school system has dropped the ball tremendously mm -hmm. in the situation. I mean, there was an article that they can't account for, I don't know how many thousands, was it 150,000 of their students, so they don't know where they are. And you know, Meg did a really quick survey after that. I sent her that article. She has 16 principals, 16 schools. They can't account for four of their students. I mean, we could probably quantify how many students we can't account for, and it's way less than that. So, you know, I see this as an opportunity of failing forward. When we talk about it in STEM, we always talk about failing forward and moving forward with that. I think that what Meg spoke to is that this shows how the network approach really does work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So our schools are networking themselves without us even knowing. Our STEM, I, I check in with my STEM schools and half the time they say, we're great. Do you need anything mm -hmm. from me? Can I come help you? No, we're good. And they really are good. And it's because it's the network approach. It's showing that this is the time when it really does work. They reach out on their own. The teachers are doing fantastic jobs because they created their own PLCs. Um, when it comes to grading, if this doesn't show that we need standards-based grading more than ever, I mean, I don't know what else is going to show. It's like the world is really helping us decipher what needs to happen in education. Um, it's sad that it took this to happen, but I think that if anything, parents are going to kind of force the issue because now they are the teachers at home who are experiencing things and seeing, okay, so why aren't we shifting to this or what this makes more sense? Um, but I'm pretty positive that it, things are going to change or it's going to force the hand to change. Uh, I think, you know, STEM is great. I don't, STEM for me is not about the what, it's about the how. It's an approach to learning. And whether we call it STEM or not, it's going to definitely um, be the vehicle that's going to drive the change or how we, we, we really shift in education. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to take longer in the Catholic school world, but it can, we have a network. We, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles has this great opportunity. I mean, I joke that I am the STEM department, but we definitely have schools to kind of, you know, use as, as a model to help them. And I think that it's going to be a, a misstep if we don't take advantage of it. And we can. Yeah, I would love to um, kind of drill down into the a point that you made around the network effect. And I think, um, you know, you all can keep me honest here in terms of uh, this, you know, this statement. But I feel like, you know, years ago, the Catholic churches, the Catholic parishes, the Catholic schools, that was a network effect, right? People looked out for each other. People checked in with each other. People were accountable to each other. That was a network effect that took place in a very sort of... Um, uh, asynchronous way, I would almost say, or, you know, like we just didn't have the technology that we have today that Leslie, you're describing so beautifully. People are accountable to each other in the network effect because we've got literally a physical infrastructure network, a technology network that allows it. But on top of that, you're being more deliberate about how you work out loud, how you, how you grade, how you do project-based learning, how you fail forward. Um, how we're, we're not having a monopoly on answers. Um, we're actually asking for mm -hmm. um, a, a, 
you know, a new currency in questions as opposed to, um, you know, determining there's only um, worth in answers. So when we think about that network effect of, of what was once um, and now this new way, does that, does that excite you all? Does it concern you all? Is it something that when we talk about accountability, I, I definitely think there are new standards for accountability. I'm seeing it in the way I work now. You know, we, we spin up a Zoom and we're, we're problem solving together, working out loud. And for me, that's great. I love that. That gives me excitement because I know I'm going to stumble through it and we're going to learn together. For some, it, it terrifies them because they don't want to do the math problem with somebody looking mm -hmm. over their shoulder, you know? Um, so I'd love your thoughts on that as, as, as we go forward and every single day is different. We're navigating this change. But I mean, I think about the power of the network effect of community, what that could be if we take this opportunity to really think critically about it. The, I, I can speak from the experience of the onward leaders. So we have these four cohorts. Um, the fourth cohort uh, is actually in schools, helping schools that are without a leader right now, which is also a very interesting um, reality during this unbelievable time of change. Um, and I think what makes me so happy is that I'm not facilitating the conversation. I may throw out the question, what, what, what are y'all thinking about grading? And then it just becomes its own thing. And they come up with ideas on how this is gonna look for right now versus what it's gonna look like I can provide articles or different resources that they don't have time to curate, but allow them to do the thinking, thinking it through with each other. And that you can't put that cat back in the in the bag. <laughs> and I think that's a really, really good thing. And the idea of putting teachers back in classrooms with a closed door and nobody knows what they're doing, can't put it back and it's over. You're on Zoom now, everybody can see you. Um, and I had a really, when it's, this all first started, I had several principals who were not comfortable videotaping themselves. So I said, okay, I'm gonna videotape myself. And I, every day I sent them a new video with me looking with no makeup, um, giving words of encouragement, lip syncing a song. Um, and then, after the first week, I didn't need to do it anymore. And I saw them all getting on. So that's, that, that becomes the coach's role then, is to sort of model and take the first humiliating step of putting yourself on camera and just letting it, realizing in, sometimes there'll be glitches, but it, it, that's not the point. The point is, our families and our students need to see you. They need to know you're gonna be there, that you're in some real place and not just floating around in, in cyberspace of voice coming through the screen. How you do that is gonna be different at each site. So I, I really, two great things. One, the siloed classroom is over. This forced that now, no one's going back to that. And two, the power of the collective capacity of the smart people that are in these schools running things day to day is more powerful than any sage on the stage. It's very clear. So that's exciting to me. So yeah, I, I so appreciate that you talked about the um, 
the vulnerability, frankly, Meg, that you basically said, look, I'm, but to me, that's leadership in action, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to get on this Zoom. I'm going to, for, for, for a moment, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of the parent who's on the other side of this, uncertain, scared, answering questions of their kids. Their kids are slightly anxious. If I can give that parent and that child and that household a moment of levity, a moment of certainty, then it's a gift. And I think as a principal and as any leader that is, that is navigating this space, the best way you can do that is be vulnerable and be genuine because you cannot put a price on that. The minute that somebody can come across this medium that we're doing now and, and feel human and, and compassionate, then you've already got the person leaning in further to say, okay, now, now I can take another breath. I love the idea of put on a song and lip sync. I mean, music, the past three weeks, music has been, I mean, music has always played a very important part of my life. I mean, we come from a big, long, you know, Irish clan, of course, music <laughs> is something, but there's something different about it. Like I find myself sending different playlists to people based on where I think they might be in sort of this change curve. So, and it's been extremely helpful to people to, to say, thank you for, for sharing that with me or, you know, why did you listen to that song? So I think the idea of getting on and doing a lip sync or putting some music, something to move the emotions. I mean, I, I have to remind people sometimes that, you know, going through change um, is anxiety inducing and where we hold anxieties in our body. And the only way you can get anxiety out of, out of your body is, is movement. I mean, 90% of the word emotion is motion. So like dance, move, sing, run, paint, draw, do something that will move the emotion. So I, I wanted to say that really briefly, Meg, as you shared that such a beautiful story. Susan, I'd love your thoughts on, on this as well as a, as a coach and a consultant in this space. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I've done a lot of work, as Meg said, on systemic professional learning communities and really um, looking at organizations so that they are communicating within each other and problem solving within each other. And there's this phrase that we use called coherence making. So how do you make coherence among individual teams? And then as those teams kind of the ripple effect of a system um, are working together. And, you know, there, there's five like activities, learn, teach, problem solve, act and motivate. And so when you're on a Zoom call, everybody has a responsibility. And we used to say that, I used to say that in coaching or professional development or in meetings and Megan Leslie had heard it many, many times in this systemic TLC's work. But to Meg's point, it's, and to Leslie's point, it's real now. Like, you know, the, the jargon is gone of like the, the phrase coherence making, like we don't need to use that word anymore because people are doing it. And I think what we're also seeing is people who were perhaps ineffective leaders, they, they're, you know, <laughs> it's showing now, like you may have been able to hide it perhaps before, but now it's like, if you're not stepping up or leaning in or whatever kind of phrase you want to use, um, it's visible because um, schools are going to either, you know, survive and thrive because of their leader um, or potentially not survive and thrive. So, um, and I'm sure again, Meg and Leslie are closer to the, to the actual schools to see that happening. Um, but I think again, as the data comes out in the next few years, um, we'll see the impact of this um, pandemic on our schools one way or the other. Yeah, very, yeah. very good point. Leslie, your thoughts. It's funny because this whole shift in accountability, Meg said something that brought me back to like my first ever 
teacher induction program meeting that I had 17 years ago, someone said, you know, teachers step into their classroom, close their doors and come out 20 years later. And that gave me like super anxiety. I looked around the room and I'm like, I cannot be that person. And that's probably why math and science really spoke to me as a teacher. I taught it for years. Um, but the shift in accountability was probably the hardest transition even my STEM teachers and STEM schools had to do. And they didn't want to let go of the reins, right? So we talk about the sage on the stage and I told them, you're, not, you're no longer that. You are the guide on the side. That is your role. I think parents had a hard time with that shift. Students had a hard time with that shift. Principals had a hard time with the shift. And I think that that's going to be the shift most needed after this remote learning experience because now we're, we shifted the accountability to parents and to students and grading had to shift. We, we, you know, UCLA and Harvard are letting go of grades pretty much, right? UCLA is not even accepting, they don't want SAT scores and ACT scores anymore. So that's a huge shift in accountability. So our whole world is shifting. And I think that that's gonna be something that's gonna um, be the biggest change we, we see hopefully in the next school year. Uh, it, it's difficult to, not see the teacher as the wise person who has all the knowledge, right? And then to say that they they can bestow this grade upon a person saying that they, you know, it's it's just kind of a thing that we, uh, I think is going to be the biggest, uh, most difficult part. But you're right, collaboration is difficult, even with students, right? No, a student has to prove that they, they can do the math problem on their own because that proves that they can get the A. Um, but that that has been our most difficult experience. And I think that the teachers, have also experienced the most fruitful um, excitement when they see the, the beauty of it, that they've shifted it. So our STEM teachers, well, now it's been about eight months that we've been through that shift. They now say that you are so right. It's so much better now. I can, I've learned more. I see the, the benefits of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a shift for Catholic school teachers as well to be more collaborative and actually share their, their test scores, share their star scores, share their, their assessments which in the past has been something that we would never do because it's very um, uh, different, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a, a word I think, Meg, you used, curation, that I, that I would love to just spotlight for a second because I believe that, um, you, know, the, the, and, you know, the concept of being front of the stage versus uh, stage left or stage right. Um, I think curation and being able to curate what, people need and what will help them. Um, I think it's a completely different muscle, frankly. And I think you have to be curious and you have to be inquisitive and, and you, you have to sort of widen your lens to begin with. Um, and you have to anticipate what people need. And, and in order to do that, you really have to empathize with them and understand and, and be in their shoes. And so I think um, to be a curator of this change in the role of principal or teacher, you know, is, is going to be paramount going forward and it is a new muscle it's something that everybody's starting to to learn and feel but i also want to echo to people that you don't have to do it alone i mean behind every great curator is an incredible network of resources um, of people that are passionate about topics that are you know off writing their own things or doing their own blogs or doing their own podcasts i mean that part of this, I think, which is hard is those of us who have been deemed experts have to let go of the title expert. Um, you know, there's a, uh, many people cite the, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, and he, when he changed the culture of Microsoft, he said, look, we have to get away from this know-it-all to learn it all. And that comes with this whole concept of growth mindset, which is 
which is you know built right into the STEM approach. Um, but it's hard. I mean, moving from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset is really hard. And I think this is exactly what every school, every diocese, every parish, um, many families and, and communities are going through right now. Um, so kind of as a last question to all three of you, I would love your thoughts on that concept of kind of this growth mindset. And do you think this, this global pandemic is going to be the thing that really pushes people to, to kind of lean into that? I, I was just laughing a little bit to myself because what I find myself doing is coaching in a, in a very different way, in a much more pragmatic way. And um, like, as Susan said, not using any jargon. We don't even need to be thinking about it. So all of these tiny little things that take up space in our head um, simply are gone. And, um, and maybe I was thinking about this, so I'm having a lot of fun with that idea. Uh, did you really just ask me that question? Let's think about that. Um, and get them laughing almost at themselves to say, yeah, yeah, that really, really, I really right. don't be thinking about this right now. This is Levity. Let's stay in the moment. What's important, essential today and tomorrow and the next day. And I, as Leslie mentioned, we were, we were really looking at, let's just get to Easter right now and then regroup. And I've seen some principals really take this on well. Uh, there's a colleague of ours in Santa Barbara who said, I have really good teachers and they are really overwhelmed. So she took over Mondays and she has um, Miss Lim's playlist and I can and 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 she's on the zoom all day and her teachers are working together getting ready for the week and creating lessons and that's the kind of immediate innovation based on the needs of the community your teachers right then and there that's what needs to be taking up our headspace so um and all the, the thoughts we have so um I found that type of pragmatic sort of coaching uh, to be very helpful and keep everybody focused on what's essential at their sites to, to meet the needs of people. So. Absolutely. And very grounded too, because the hard part is we get super, as you said, we go super orbital <laughs> and all of the, all of the things we need to think about. And then if you're not a grounded leader and you're spinning, you're yeah. not helping anybody, so I appreciate exactly. that. Exactly. So I see that a lot as the role now is to yeah. keep people pull in, people down, pull people down, keep them in the moment, and yep. and um, and get them to see themselves in this new light uh, more clearly. Yeah, absolutely, Leslie. I'd love your your thoughts as as someone who probably spends quite a bit of time in growth mindset. Yeah. So for me, it's about editing. So I noticed that um, when it came to providing. You know, the beauty of the network is that we have a lot of funding and support and resources that we can provide to these teachers. And what, what I noticed was they were paralyzed. They just had so much at their fingertips. And I would walk into their classrooms or I'd walk and support them and they were doing traditional math, traditional science in this beautiful STEM state-of-the-art classroom. And I said to them, they were just paralyzed. You know, they, you know, yeah. and that was partly, that's my role. So how do we edit? Um, and just, you know, like you guys, like Meg was saying, is just really make, keep them grounded. And so part of that is my, my role is to edit them and be, keep them focused on the goal. And, and during this remote, remote learning, with the principals as my kind of touch point is, is telling them like they, what is the main focus? Like, what, let's keep them 
focused on STEM, but realistically on STEM, right? Including the parents as, as a focus, the students as a focus and realizing that self-care is at the point. We wanna keep these good teachers and we wanna keep them until June, but also until the next school year. Um, but I think for me is making sure that they're not paralyzed by too much. I think a lot of times is we think the resources and the technology and all the fancy stuff and bells and whistles are, are the golden ticket to solve all the problems and it's not. In fact, you can do so much more without it as well. It's really, it's really high quality. So um, for me, that's, that's what I've come to learn. And I learned a lot from Meg as well. Uh, we have very similar styles in, in coaching, I think. And that's because I consider her and Susan a mentor of mine. So I've learned a lot from them. But that's what I've taken a lot from. Um, it's really powerful to experience, I think. Yeah, I mean, certainly, right? Every great novel had an incredible editor. <laughs> so people need to remember that. Um, and I do think your, your point around the editing, that's a muscle as well. And I, I will share that in talking with a number of people the past couple of weeks. Um, to take people from overwhelm to empowerment is exactly what you're talking about. Help me edit down. Help me get to what is essential right now. And if somebody can help you do that in some, in some ecosystem, you will absolutely be grateful for them. So I appreciate that. Susan. You know, I listened to your uh, most recent podcast and you and a gentleman were talking about, um, you know, it wouldn't be a good thing if we were the same as we are today, a year from now. You know, it was that idea like, how are we going to take advantage of this time so that when we look back on it and we say, oh, that pandemic, I became this as a result of that. And um, that really struck me in that conversation because I, in the replace of, in, to replace the me, I said, what are our Catholic schools gonna look like? What are our dioceses gonna look like? What are our superintendent's offices gonna look like a year from now? And, you know, while I, I, I'm a little realistic, I'm also very hopeful because you have people like Meg and Leslie and the principals that they work with and the principals that I spoke with last week um, and more next week um, that give me great hope in the future. And, um, and I think we're, we are expanding leadership opportunities beyond the school now more than ever to be and we have so many more um, avenues you know um, communication vehicles in order for that to happen so i think that creativity and that innovation you know my hope that a year from now it's contagious and that people are just using that creativity and innovation to rethink how we do school finance how we uh, work with teaching and learning um, what our systems look like and that um, that we have even more people, you know, engaged in our Catholic schools and with the faith, and it becomes this this um, just broader community um, for for the sake of Catholic education and for the sake of the church. That is a a great place to to wrap it up in terms in terms of courageous um, and contagious. I think courage is contagious, and I think when applied with the right tools, the right mindset. Mm -hmm. You can, you can transform and change people's lives. So um, before we wrap, anybody else want to have any final comments? This has been an incredibly motivating and inspirational conversation <laughs> for me. Um, so I appreciate uh, Susan, Leslie and Meg, but I would love to open it up to any final comments that, uh, that any of you have. Well, Bill, I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I was just going to say, I just wanted to say thank you to Bill for the opportunity to be here and um, for Meg and to, to invite me and Leslie to be involved. Um, you know, it's, um, it's just wonderful to, to kind of um, be in a conversation with folks about this and, um, and again, to just have an opportunity to appreciate the great things that are happening um, in our schools and because of um, your leadership and um, Bill, because of um, the way that you are able to so um, broadly edit and curate <laughs> this conversation in such a way that um, you're able to capture our thinking in a way that um, is better than I think myself. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Meg, Susan, and Leslie. If you did, consider sharing it with a parent, a teacher, a friend, or maybe even a principal. Thanks for listening.